1: you there. This is Blake Murphy. Welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz.
0: Well, head on in here. Oh, on. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you.
1: Fantastic. All righty. How are you doing tonight?
0: I'm doing well. How are you doing, Blake?
1: Doing great. All right. Well, I guess we can probably go ahead and get started. Uh, I can enter unless you want to go for it this week. <laughs>
0: No, you uh, you can do the intro every week. sounded good last week. All right. So let's let's do it.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in. This is the Bird Game Glitz. Welcome to week two of our new podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy at Blake Murphy 7 Along with me is my co-host, Johnny, a.k.a. Johnny's Football. And, uh, man, this is a tough week, honestly, in a national football game. What were your first thoughts on the offensive struggles we saw in the Cards game this week, John?
0: Well, Blake, uh, great to be here again on week two and, and thanks uh, for everybody who listened in last week and who's uh, sticking around for week two and hopefully future weeks. But uh, with regards to what we saw on Monday night, I think a lot of us uh, had question marks in terms of how the Cardinals were going to produce points offensively uh, with obviously David Johnson out and JJ J. Nelson uh, nursing, you know, a sore hamstring. Uh, I think, a lot of people were skeptical that the Cardinals would be able to put up a decent amount of points, and that's exactly what happened. So, uh, really, it was a little bit misleading after the first couple drives. uh, You saw um, a lot of good from the Cardinal offense, specifically Carson Palmer. uh, It looked like Bruce Arians had adjusted to the short passing game. A lot of the Cardinal fans, media, um, and probably people internally had been wondering when Bruce Arians was going to adapt based on uh, Palmer's lack of mobility as well as the um, lack of production from the offensive line. But uh, Carson looked very sharp early on in the game, Uh, you know, three to five step drops. I thought, you know, I thought the receivers did a nice job the first couple of possessions. But then very similar to the Detroit game in week one, it all fell apart. and The offense became incredibly stagnant once the defense made adjustments. Uh, And I think one of the biggest disappointments of this game was the fact that this is a Dallas defense a week ago that gave up four touchdowns to Trevor Simeon that was just embarrassed on on national television, on Fox, uh, against the Denver offense that, yes, on paper has better players, specifically the receiver position than Arizona does, but at the same time, I would consider quarterback to Trevor Simeon even at this stage and for them to just bombard the, the Dallas Cowboys with with 40 plus points and the Cardinals to only muster 17 points is is incredibly disappointing.
1: Yeah, I would totally disab- I would totally um definitely agree with you there on how it just felt like it was one of those nights where when you're a dominant team, you're seeing Carson Palmer starting off 11 of 11 with a touchdown, which should have been two touchdowns if not for a penalty, and then to see um just the fact that they came over with zero points in that situation and then to spend that even another trip down uh into scoring position, just to seeing how the offensive struggles continued and just the fact that they were going into the half seven seven when you realize that it should have been probably at least seventeen zero Cardinals at that point. That's been part of the uh issue I think we've seen with uh the special teams and that's kind of the next topic I guess we'll be able to um move into for now is just talking about how you sign Phil Dawson, you go out and get him you had a two-year contract to, uh, to your team along with a veteran punter, Andy Lee who did fine. It wasn't exceptional, but it was fine. And you're still seeing these main issues at least. So what, what are your thoughts at least as far as a lot of Cardinals fans have brought up the idea of Amos Jones, Arians has said he's never going to fire one of his coaches. What are your thoughts at least on how the Cardinals special teams have shown the same issues they had in 2016 so far?
0: Well, make no mistake about it, it absolutely cost them a playoff spot a year ago, potentially a division championship. The special teams alone were that bad a year ago. And then you look at the first three games of the 2017 season, and they're not equally bad because Andy Lee is, is far superior than the, than the garbage that the Cardinals trotted at up punter a year ago. But at the same time, Phil Dawson looks like much of the same that we've seen from Chandler Catanzaro in 2016, I, I saw a stat the other day that the Cardinals are tied for first amongst missed field goals over the past two years. So it's affecting ball games week in and week out for this team. And uh, I'm never going to go out and demand somebody be fired, you know, week in and week out. But you know, based on you know knee-jerk reactions and things like that, I like to take things into perspective over long periods of time and have a, have a large sample size. Amos Jones deserved to be fired after last season based on his performance. The 2015 Cardinals didn't have particularly great special teams. And then you saw numerous special team blunders in the playoff game against Carolina that carried over to last year. And now last year's special team miscues are carrying over to this year. I get it. I know TJ Logan's out until mid-season, if not later. I don't want to pin, you know, the, the fault of, you know, kickers missing field goals on a special team coordinator because a lot of that is, is a mental approach, but at some point, somebody's got to be held accountable, and he is just not getting it done with the results that the Cardinals need to be. Because the matter is, they have too many liabilities offensively. They have a defense which they think can be dominant, but when you're below average in two of the three units, and one of them is your offense you're not going to win many games in this league. So I do believe Amos should have been fired a year ago. I, should, I believe they should have started from scratch with that unit. I love the, the addition of Andy Lee. I, th- I think he's been fine. But you look at the Dallas um, offensive positions in which they scored touchdowns, I believe all of them, other than the long touchdown that Bethany gave up, uh, which led to a touchdown, the long completion at the end of the game, all of them started uh, on the Cardinals' side of the field. So really the Cardinal defense didn't give up a long drive until late. Basically, they were just given such horrific field position, and that's a combination of poor offensive play and then obviously sport, poor special teams. Yeah, and I
1: think that's something you brought up that's a great point about how in the game when you saw Dallas starting with um, – it's tough you know, when you've got a guy like a PJ Logan who's an explosive punt returner who's out, but the fact that Arizona's offensive line couldn't protect Palmer, they couldn't run the football – they're having to start all these different drives really far backed up against their own end zone. So it just came down to that that concept of field position, which doesn't seem all that important. And when you look at how Arizona had the time of possession battle won, they had the uh, the fact that they were forcing Dallas off the field early was won. The fact that Dak Prescott didn't even throw for he didn't even throw for 200 yards in this game. Uh, you no. had Des Bryant was held down. You had Jason Witten was held back. Terrence Williams didn't even go off. And yet Dallas had the depth offensively, to, and part of it was the offensive line that even though it didn't get the push early, they still kept at it, and they used that concept of mobility. I think that's kind of something that we've talked a lot about on the pod, of this idea of a mobile quarterback in this kind of new age where offensive linemen are coming out of college with these spread offenses. They're not knowing how to basically run block against these fast guys and they're not really even knowing how to pass block really either. So you're having to kind of find these ancient old smart veterans who can kind of know how to protect a quarterback with technique until the body breaks down, but you're not being able to find these young guys. So it's just kind of that area of when you're looking at how the NFL is lined up with some of the quarterbacks who've struggled this year. You look at how Joe Flacco has struggled. You look at how the England Patriots and Tom Brady nearly had a drop to one and two Uh, It's not for some late-game heroics and a terrible, terrible mismanagement by the Texans' defense. You look at how um, guys with um, not just him and Flacco, but the success that guys have had with uh, Rodgers, even despite having injuries on his offensive line, and Prescott in this game. And even look at how Jared Goff has been utilizing. It's just this idea, at least in the NFL, of this old statuesque quarterback who's been able to stand back at least, take a beating, and be able to continue on. It, It just seems like there's some of those quarterbacks that are are kind of falling out with Palmer having the six sacks despite playing out of his mind and Ben Roethlisberger has been having problems. With, well, I'm just kind of curious about some of your thoughts as we've talked about some of that with the mobility and how the lack of offensive line is going to be a problem for Palmer and the Cardinals down the stretch.
0: Well, it basically comes down to the fact that unless you're Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, um, and, you know, I'll give credit to Matt Ryan. He played phenomenal last year, and I wouldn't consider him super mobile but for the most part, unless your quarterback contains some kind of mobile attributes, and I you know, I would consider Matthew Stafford pretty mobile for a traditional pocket passer, you cannot be a statue in the pocket anymore in today's NFL and expect to compete not for championships but really for, for playoff bursts now because we've seen the offensive line play deteriorate to the point where it's very much like quarterback play. You're only getting a, a couple quality – offensive line prospects year in, year out, and maybe only one or two good to great players. And then you couple that with the fact that, you know, the, the, I keep saying the new CBA, but the current CBA only allows so many padded practices uh, and, and, and coaching opportunities specifically in the spring. These guys just aren't ready when they come out. You look at a guy like Dorian Johnson that the Cardinals got in the fourth round that everybody arrowed one of the steals of the draft. He had a second-round grade. He was just not prepared, and the Cardinals ended up cutting them. Now, fortunately, you know, they reclaimed him and put him on their practice squad. But the, the fact of the matter is you need somebody who is able to make plays out of the pocket. And isn't it ironic that we turned the clocks back about 18 months and the Cardinals got, you know, shellacked in Carolina. And everything you heard that off season was, we need to become faster and more athletic on defense and able, in order to stop these mobile quarterbacks like Cam Newton, like Aaron Rodgers. Well, they haven't done that to the sense that they're still getting destroyed by the likes of Dak Prescott and some of these mobile quarterbacks. You know, Russell Wilson's had his fair share of success against this team. And then on the flip side, this offense has become one of the oldest and slowest in the NFL. I I think it would be difficult to find, and I don't include you know Larry Fitzgerald and J.J. Nelson in this group, but from a skilled position standpoint, from a quarterback standpoint, when you're trotting out, 38-year-old Carson Palmer and Chris Johnson, who's in his 30s, who a lot of people thought and assumed after he was cut by the Cardinals in training camp, he would retire. Those are your, your starters in your backfield, plus an offensive line that doesn't feature any promising youth outside of D.J. Humphreys who never plays. I mean, it's just very ironic to me that this team said, well, we need to fix our defense and become longer and faster. It's an offensive league. When you're not a competent offense, you're going to get embarrassed every week. And we're starting to see that with the Cardinals, that no matter how much, how many resources they put into this defense, how many first, second, third round draft picks, how many free agent contracts, how great, you know, the likes of Tyvon Branch looks and trade for Chandler Jones and re-sign Carlos Dansby, your defense by the end of the season with the amount of snaps that you're going to be asked to play is going to get destroyed. Todd Bowles is not coordinating this defense anymore. James Betcher is probably an average to above-average coordinator. He's not Todd Bowles. And you don't have that unit from 2014. So you've got a unit right now that's on pace, I think, to be average and go below its expectations, mainly because the offense is going to put them in situations where they're not going to be able to be successful. That's just the bottom line.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's um, the biggest thing looking at the Cardinals right now is how they're structured is you can argue and say that they are missing, you know, three of their five starters in the offensive line, maybe even now three of the five starters and a backup. But when you talk about how the rest of the line is, who's left is played, you really are talking about Evan Bame and Jared Valdir. <laughs> and Jared Valdir so far is just there's all controversy, you know. Them looking about the retirement and about, what, should he have retired? Should he have stayed? And I'm never going to be one to basically question the mon, the money that you're going to gain in the NFL because it really is just the only time that you'll be able to have that ability to actually have the opportunity to make that much money every single year. But when you're talking about how, when you're looking at age and what the Cardinals are asking of their players, and when they've clearly hit a wall, you need to look at how your depth has been developed. And the Cardinals, I think, have decent O-line coaches. I mean, you can take a look at how D.J. Humphreys has progressed at least from, you know, being a guy who was being called nicknamed Knee Deep was heralded a bust two games in. There uh, are two preseason games in, I should say. And now you're talking about a guy who they're almost depending on to come in and save them. But if that's the case, then you're already talking about a player who really has not been reliable for – That only just the first year of his career, and only ended up playing in about nine games or so last year before getting hurt, and then you're talking about him missing almost a quarter of the season this year, and if that's the guy you're counting on to be your best offensive lineman, then it just shows that there's got to be at least one one or two problems that's going on. The first is you're either not investing enough in your offensive line, and I think there could be an argument for that. You look at how Kime has really only drafted one first-round um, offensive tackle who at least is shown to be decent at times. Jonathan Cooper at least maybe had a hot start to camp, but just after the injury and everything else just really did not show that he was able to play at an NFL starting level. And there's Humphreys. And after that, it's been all day three picks. You really just haven't seen um, investment into a young player as you have with signing older vets like Yupayi and signing an older vet like Delvier and then kind of going with time-time uh, signs like Alex Boonebent with guys like Ted Larson or bringing back Lyle Fenline. The second issue that I think that it could also be is, is that maybe it's not as much even an issue with starting as far as for finding talent that can start, but maybe it's an issue of being able to develop the talent that you have behind those guys, being able to find those gems, be able to coach them up and being able to put them in a scheme where their weaknesses aren't, uh, aren't going to be exposed by other teams. And that's the area I think you have to start questioning is the scheme going to be an issue in Arizona where if they're asking guys who are there to be able to pass block uh, win one-on-one situations, or is it an area where if the team knows that your offensive line can't protect, you're going to have to pass the ball because your defense is there, and that's where they can tee off uh, with getting a and Palmer with only three guys rushing. That's kind of the big area where you have to wonder if they're going to be successful. the Cardinals with their current coaching staff. I mean, we've seen it in the past where during the 2014 season they were healthy throughout the whole year, and that's kind of, I think, is indeed an issue with teams when you have injuries and stuff, but when you don't have a next man up who can stand up and actually make that's the kind of question, is it that person's fault who's behind it? Or is it going to be kind of the coaching, the GM on them? And for me, I think that you could talk all you want about, um, you talk all you want about as far as for uh, being able to have, you know, benching Jared Valdeer. But right now the only guy that can really slide in there is a fifth round rookie out of Vanderbilt who uh, a lot of people had wondered if he was going to get released before the season started, because he just looks terrible in camp. He's a, project tackle, maybe a guy who could slide over to right tackle, but that's in like about a one year to two-year time frame. It's just an area I think that um, we really need to have to kind of look at the rest of the season to evaluate with the coaching staff. One more thing I wanted to touch on, at least you did mention uh, turning the clock back, and uh, just to talk about the play of one of the positives in this game was Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald, just how good they did with Fitz going off for 150 yards and a touchdown, something that he hasn't done since certain playoff game in 2015 to put up that type of numbers.
0: Yeah, it's, it's exciting to see that, but at the same time, it's disappointing because you know how few of those instances remain. And, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that this team will stay competitive throughout the majority of this season, but at the same time, I, I don't think either Palmer nor Fitzgerald will be back with the Cardinals next year. So you need to relish those opportunities when you see both of those guys play at a high level. And no one was more happy than for Palmer after, you know, the the first two weeks of the season for the way he played against Dallas than I was. Uh, I thought he played an exceptional first half, uh, specifically uh, evading pressure uh, multiple times. And then unfortunately that that pressure just caught up to him in the second half. But then Larry, again, trying to single-handedly will his team to victory Uh, I I have not seen a wide receiver uh, over the course of the last 10 to 15 years, including the likes of Calvin Johnson and Julio Jones that plays with the will that Larry Fitzgerald does in the sense that he, he just essentially tries to take over and will his team to victory. We saw it in both Packer playoff games. We saw it in the 2008 playoff run Uh, in my opinion, you know, next to Jerry Rice, he's the greatest postseason receiver ever. I mean, many, many more uh, regular season contests that that you could reference with with Larry. Um, He just shines the brightest on the national stage, and I think it's going to get to a point this season if this team falls out of it, basically, week in and week out, just enjoying Larry's Larry's play and not taking it for granted. Uh, From Carson's standpoint, uh, I think he's going to – it's crazy to think that he's third in the NFL in passing yards um, behind, I think, Rodgers and Brady. Um, So if he can stay consistent – with regard to um, throwing the ball downfield, assuming he can get, you know, adequate pass protection, and that remains to be seen, you know, I think he can put up some decent stats um, assuming that this team improves uh, from an offensive line standpoint. But just the two of them, the show that they put on, it was great to see. Now, the South defense, um, you should put up big numbers against. Their secondary other than Byron Jones and Alandro Scandrick, I think had three or four rookies or undrafted guys. Uh, they trotted out on Monday night. And so not, not the, the deepest group, certainly not the Seattle Seahawks of the world. Um, so again, after the Cardinals put up the first seven and were driving for their second score, you know, easy to envision that this team would put up at least 24 to 27 points and that would be enough to keep them in the game. And it just didn't happen, even though Larry uh, single-handedly again tried to, to will this team to victory. So, uh, again, it was exciting, but at the same time, it's a little bit depressing knowing that there's not too many of these performances left, especially from Larry. I think, you know, there's been um, so much negativity around Carson's play out of late. I know he didn't start off great last year, another slow start this year. Uh, we're on the contrary. You know what you're getting from Larry every week. And even in those instances, like last week against, you um, Indianapolis doesn't have a great statistical game, still is out there run blocking, uh, making plays when you need them, and is 100% all about the team. And I'm 100% confident that he would give up his game checks week in and week out and sacrifice his numbers for a Super Bowl ring. And it's unfortunate, barring something unforeseen, that he's going to go down as, you know, the Dan Marino of wide receivers that, you know, got his team to a Super Bowl single-handedly and wasn't able to close the deal. So um, he's just, he's one of the great, ambassadors of the game and in my opinion i have him uh in the top five of wide receivers of all time yeah i think that's where
1: um he's going to finish this year he's already still on track to finish third in yards overall which is quite impressive i think you're right as far as we're with palmer and fitzgerald i think that what palmer has demonstrated with his play and what fitz has also shown is 2017 doesn't necessarily have to be their last year But when you start looking at how the offensive line is looked, you start looking at how the defense is old and aged. You you look at how Arians is just up in the air as far as everything with health. You're just not sure if they're going to want to come back for a second season. So I think that part of what you have to look for with Arians is adjusting to, if you're in a situation where, let's say that you have a penalty on a lineman for holding because they didn't want the guy to get to Palmer, and you're in kind of a third-and-30 situation, obvious passing situation, he's going to have to learn to adjust to – Try to keep Palmer upright because that's your best chance of winning rather than trying to win the game and potentially have your quarterback suffer a hit like we saw in 2018 where you saw a shoulder injury that kept him out. Or uh, I don't think there's anything as far as for ACL. Like, that's one of those terrible things. But the more hits that a quarterback's going to take, the more likely and chance that there is for injury. And we saw Russell Wilson play through those last year, and the Seattle Seahawks just did not look like any type of dominant team whatsoever as a result. Uh, real quick, we only got a couple minutes left in this part of the Bird Games Blitz podcast. We'll be talking draft and doing a little bit more in-depth with each, but let's spend about a minute or so just kind of quickly going over the next opponent in the San Francisco 49ers. This is a team that on the Thursday night show and put up a huge offensive performance against some considered to be a decent Rams defense. I think that because they're about as overrated defense as you can get. But uh, what do you think as far as for uh, guys like Brian Hoyer coming to town with their new head coach and Minnie Shanahan?
0: I think uh, they're going to use Hoyer's mobility to their advantage, much of the same as the Dallas Cowboys used Dak. I think Kyle Shanahan is one of the young, brilliant offensive minds in football. Uh, I, I like the Cardinals in this game purely because of the fact that they're at home. If the game was in San Francisco, uh, I definitely think the San Francisco 49ers could be favored. They've got the edge at running back. I think they've got the edge at receiver with the way Pierre Garçon and some of these other wideouts are emerging for them, but they've got the superior tight end. Uh, Hoyer is not playing up to the same level that Palmer is, especially last week, but at the same time, you know, the offensive lines are probably a wash, and they've got a a nice aggressive young front seven. Now their defense is not on the same level as the Cardinals, uh, especially with Reuben Foster out, but this is a team, you know, It's funny, Blake, and I don't want to go off on on too big of a tangent, uh, but everybody in the division but the Cardinals know who they are. The Rams know who they are. Right now they're one of the hottest young offensive teams in the league, and you and I both think that defense is going to turn around with Wade Phillips. The Seattle Seahawks know who they are in the sense that they're going to play good defenses, they're going to rely on Russell Wilson to make plays, and they're a consistent playoff contender. Uh, And then the San Francisco 49ers know who they are. They're playing young guys, not necessarily – Playing to win this year, although nobody would ever say that, and they know right around the corner they have a ton of draft capital and what is perceived to be the best quarterback.
1: Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6, stop the attack on bridge and road safety sponsored by Business Labor Local Government's